Hi everyone, and welcome to What's Design Anyway. I'm Daniela Sachs, founder of Impactful Design Studio. If you're wondering what on earth design means, what it's got to do with anything, how to use it, or how to find your place within it, you're in the right spot. Join me as I delve into all of these topics and more with an incredibly interesting, inspiring, and intriguing lineup of guests. What has design got to do with engagement, participation, and community? In this episode, I'm incredibly excited to be bringing you Lana Jelenjev, who is an incredible community alchemist, learning design strategist, and author of a breathtaking book on how to design communities for change, amongst many other things. In this incredibly rich and juicy conversation, we explore how and why we need to design safer, brave spaces in our organizations. Lana delves deeply into the question of what engagement in community means today in a content-driven world, why we need to flip the narrative to design businesses as communities, yes, businesses as communities, an incredibly profound concept. And also, we look at the critical role design plays in enabling people to show up, share, and engage on multiple levels. Because as we know, this doesn't happen by default. We speak about fire keepers and weavers, and a whole lot and more in between, as we explore the multiple touch points that we and our organizations can connect to in our search for purpose and meaning. This conversation was such an incredible gift and I hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed having it. Lana, thank you so much um, for joining me today. And I'm like really excited to dig in this conversation because, you know, just before we hopped online, um, I was looking at your latest post on LinkedIn about designing safer and brave spaces. And I was like, that is a freaking juicy topic of conversation to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, I like, I would love to know. Um, from your perspective, like, what does it mean? Like, what does a brave space mean? And like, how on earth do you begin to design for it? And like, mm. why does it even matter, actually, which I think is a, something we'll probably have to get to <laughs> in, in the next part. Well, thank you for having me. And um, so in, in that post, I've mentioned about the intersections of where I find myself in. And I, I'm a consultant for organizations who are looking at designing or redesigning their programs differently. And at the same time for organizations who are um, weaving community into their programs and activities. So given that I'm in that two, you know, two different yet interlocking spaces, what I often find myself in, in consultation with clients mm is you know, there's so much of the content that they want to deliver and there's so much of the yeah the 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 need to um support and contribute to others mm-hmm. and and at the same time what i often see that's missing is on how you know how do we first design spaces where all this content, all this engagement can then be made possible. Uh, yeah. So it's one thing that we have you know, valuable content, but it's another to think of what will be the learning experience design mm-hmm. around that, that creates engagement, that creates authenticity, yeah. that, con- you know, that contains, um, that, uh, yeah, promotes vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is what I find juicy in the spaces that I'm in is to, 
yeah, somehow trigger that in people in asking them of okay, you know, these are very valuable. Uh, like like in many organizations, right? You have your KPIs. There's mm-hmm. so many valuable. Um, uh, what's this? Especially on the content side of things or the curriculum side of things, you know, very very valuable information. Yet, if we don't focus on how to deliver it and to facilitate it, then it remains to be just that content. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's also offering people ideas on okay, how how can we create spaces where learning and practice is made possible? And the first layer that I see that is very important is when we design for spaces that are safer. Mm-hmm. Um, and brave, yeah, and and I'm using the term safer rather than safe space, uh, because again, even that notion of safety is very yeah. different for everyone, and uh, so how can it be safer, mm-hmm. and and brave? So when I think of those two, I think of uh, are there you know opportunities where people who might feel that they are triggered or in need of support, uh, that there is that that is possible for them, that they can retreat mm-hmm. when needed. Uh, and, and the brave spaces uh, allows for when people need to uh, and are, you know, and are willing to you know, open up and share, are there yeah. opportunities for them to do that? Uh, so for me, I see that, you know, it's not just about always saying, oh, we need brave spaces, but we also need spaces where uh, retreat is possible, uh, mm-hmm. restoration is possible. And this is also why in the bigger scheme of things, I put safer and brave space under the initiative, which I call Refugia. Oh, how are we creating spaces where there's belonging, where there's mm-hmm. healing, where there's liberation? And, and for me, this is this is that big big arch of the work of um, we need to create spaces mm-hmm. of refuge for people. And as we create these spaces, then you know we can get them to be more involved yes. in the ways that is relevant for them. Yeah. Um, that we can also get them to to share what's what's alive in them, what mm-hmm. what they you know what they need, and at the and and also at the same time, you know we can we can. Um, encourage them to show up with their strengths mm-hmm. and and this for me is why the emphasis on healing centered spaces is also very important you know, moving away from a very pathogenic view of you know what's wrong with people yeah to a more salutogenic of oh people have so much gifts and assets and in in strengths you know how can we lead with that mm. how can we Put that in the front forefront so that they may be able to engage in these spaces where they know that mm-hmm. their gifts are invited. It's it's um, it's so interesting because I think most people don't realize, and a lot of the talk around content design and publishing content, putting content out there, especially with businesses who take an education first approach which is often when you're doing something new, you you need to do that because you want to bring people on board. And you've seen quite a, quite a shift with companies like MailChimp, et cetera, who go education first. And it's been a nice way to for them to kind of build a voice, build a brand. And there's quite an emphasis on kind of this approach to build community. But I think that, you know, what you've said really shows the complexity of doing that, that often it's taken for granted that when you create, you know, an education first approach learning, which can be both external um, to your customers, but also internal within your company um, and you're building community, you want to do it to build community, both external. So you have, you know, your community of raving fans your customers become a community. Um, it's also about um, on the other side, how are you doing in a way that builds community within your organization? And, and often we, I, I think there's an assumption that this happens by default, 
Yeah. But this is not something that uh, you design for. And I think that's mm. what's so exciting about this conversation, which is going like, hold up, this doesn't actually happen by default. Yeah. It's by careful design. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there, there's kind of an external and, and internal um, approach that you're kind of taking in combination when it comes to active participation and creating equal spaces for participation and interaction, if we start inside the company, you know, what, what would be the key things that, that you would need to design? Yeah. One of the things that uh, really comes up strongly for me in this question is to revisit what we mean about engagement. what I've noticed is we're stuck with just one definition of what engagement means or one strategy in which we see engagement in people. Mm-hmm. And that for me is, I think, that, that for me is a problem, uh, especially if we you know, look at, uh, for one, say, for example, neuro, neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. You know? So people have different ways of, of thinking, different ways of, of being. So given that parameter of engagement is just only this way, yeah. it limits people already from engaging. So for me, it's about going back and saying, okay, but what does engagement really means mm. for us? And how do we see that in different touch points? Um, and how do we see that in different ways of relating? Yeah. Uh, so the, I've um, written about my, you know, my slider model of engagement, where right? we're just really, you know, seeing it like a, you know, like that slider. People slide in and out of engagement depending mm-hmm. on their time, their energy, their resources, their attention. So there's so many factors in which people engage yeah. in a team in an organization, and if we do not take into consideration those factors. Do not, do not also take into consideration about what are the opportunities that we're mm. providing for them in those different, you know, touch points in those different, um, I would say, experiences mm-hmm. within the company. Then we're missing out on providing the spaces where people can fully engage, because that immediately disengages people. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's going back to, to the basics of what this engagement really mean yeah. for the team uh, and eliciting that also from people within the team. And it's not just something that's just top down, but also yeah, within the team themselves. You know, how can we look at engagement? What mm. does that really mean? Uh, and also from the different fronts, you know, not just in the communication, but also say, for example, within um Team activities, you know, mm. what what do you what do we mean by engagement? So making that more visible allows for people to to be able to see themselves in this situation. Mm. Yeah, and it's so it's so interesting because um, you know it was something that uh, we I touched on in a previous episode with Rosebell is the nuances of this question, like you know, diversity and inclusion has become such a hot topic and such a polarized topic. Um, and we, we're, because of that, we have lost that magic where really what we should be talking about is how do you engage and how do you create, meet people in the different ways that they engage yeah. and create opportunities for more engagement. Um, you know, within an organization, you have different cultures, different genders, but you also have different teams who are working on different things. Um, and... To create these multiple engagement uh, points actually also helps you as a business overcome those inevitable silos. Yes. Which creates so many roadblocks in your company. Yeah. And also identifying um, who can you, uh, this is who can you engage with that can support this? Yeah. And one of the projects that I'm uh, doing right now, we call them firekeepers. Uh, who, oh, who are wow. who are the who are the people that tends to the fire mm. within an organization, within your team? 
uh, people who you know who would sit. You know, if you think of that that analogy of a campfire, right? Yeah. So, so there will be people bringing in the wood. There will be people bringing in the twigs. You know, there will be, be people bringing in the stories, but there will be people who tends to the fire. You know, they're they're the people that looks at. Oh, wait a minute. You know, we seem to be missing some more wood here, or mm. oh, now this is too much. You know, fire. So how can we uh, taper it down? So I, I see the need. For us to also identify who can be firekeepers within organizations, you know, those who have the the ability to sense and to pulse check, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, where are people at? Um, uh, how, how are people engaging? Yeah. Uh, in in um, community uh, building now, considered to be, uh, or reframing it to community weaving. You know, that 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 weaver, the role of the weaver of who is that person that looks at what's in the field or senses what's in the field and then brings it back in and say, hey, wait a minute, this is what I'm sensing or this is what I'm noticing or this is what uh, th- this is what I'm seeing. So we need people like that. You know, mm. we need um, team leaders who can uh, or team members mm-hmm. who, who can take that role of a fire keep- keeper and um, have that pulse of how are people engaging with each other. And it, it's so interesting because we often think um, within business, it, it often ca- happens kind of hierarchical and the roles are very specific. So like in theory, HR's task, <laughs> right, is to like manage like human resources. Um, and then you've got managers who are supposed to manage Mm-hmm. you know the people under them and the people above them and be that interface and you know what what we lose in that um traditional like business model design is the the nuance yes. um and i think you often see that in i hear more complaints about a hr than that i i, I don't i don't know the last time i heard anybody praise their hr and, and perhaps that is because in an organization, when, when you're missing this emphasis on engagement and how people engage, which is separate to how are you managing your resources, it's, it's the very, and I like, I like the, the, the languaging that, that you were using, which really kind of harks back to the beginnings of how we build communities and how we gathered as a community. And those people who might be the, the fire keepers might necess- not necessarily be the manager. Yes. You know, it's, it's a certain skill set of like um, kind of more of an empathic, more of a, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, like I, I kind of want to like go, it's more of like a motherly empathic, but it's kind of, you know, somebody who has the art of being able to kind of sense. Yeah what's happening and yeah like like really sense the pulse which is sits outside of those traditional hierarchies so it's also moving beyond title to say and and you spoke about this before understanding uh strengths and that becoming playing a huge role in how you design these spaces is really being able to understand who in your teams has the magic touch to be like these weavers? Yeah, I, I definitely have seen this in spaces where you know people are invited to fill in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the the tools that I created was the six lenses strategy is to really invite people to play in a specific role, you know, either the role of the activist or the role of the healer, mm-hmm. you know, or or the role of the elder. Uh, so, what would happen if we intentionally design spaces where people can take in the role of a weaver, uh, the one that listens to our you know if there are uh things that needs mediating on you know to listen to the arguments and then to bring it back to the center and mm-hmm. say hey you know these are what i've heard you know or 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 someone who really looks into what what would this mean um seven generations from now you know the the yeah. futurist uh, so what 
for me, it I find it exciting when we can uh, create spaces, uh, specifically teams, where people can take in the roles based from the strengths mm-hmm. and 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 to see where that would go. You know how they they can lead with their strengths um, and. In neurodiversity, that's one of the main uh, advocacy is to really look at strengths-based approaches. Um, And this is also where I see there's the pitfall that we have because we're so primed into sensing deficits. When we do strategy calls, for Mm -hmm. example, the very first question is, what is needed? What's the problem? Yes. What is What is the problem we're going to solve? What is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's always yeah. that's always the framing that we get into. Um, yet, for me, I find it so liberating when we start with what's what's working well. Ah, that's we, powerful. That's incredibly powerful. What's it? What's already inherently in the team or in the organization that mm. is doing well? And what are the strengths that we're seeing? What are the opportunities that are here already? Yeah. And then the designing becomes then different, you know, because we're not designing for deficits. We're designing into how can we leverage the strengths? How can we let yeah. leverage the assets? And this is also why I, I, I am a firm believer of asset-based community development as well. What do you like, mean by that, asset-based community development? So it's looking at you know, different, um, uh, what's this, different areas in which we see the dif- different assets within the communities. Um, I can very, one one quick example of mm-hmm. that is an often neglected aspect in uh, community building is understanding that people bring in connections. That's an asset. And, and oftentimes, this is very much overlooked within teams or within organizations of who are people connected with already yeah. that that can be, you know, that, that can be, uh, what's this, um, supported to, to say, hey, can you provide this for us? Mm. Rather than looking externally which of oftentimes is what happens, right? You know, there's always an external person who would say, hey, you know, this is what needs to be done, this, 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 without knowing the full context of yeah. what is going on. So in, in asset-based community development, so you look at it from a systemic level of what are already the assets from not just from the individual, but also from a collective level. It can even be like the buildings, the, you know, the, the environment, what are the assets mm. that are um, inherently there already? So you, you you're building you're building from assets. So it's it's um, an opportunity rather than like the reductive approach, which is you're you're building on it to solve a challenge, a problem. Yeah, you're saying, hold on, look at all of this potential. Where how do we enhance and build on? So it's much more um, like additive. It's it's starting from a completely different mindset shift. Yes, and then the solutions also follows differently, mm. right? And this is for me why it, it it's important to say how can we reframe the ways in which we yeah in, in which we look at our organizations or our teams within that lens of strengths within that lens of assets. And it's, you know, it's so interesting because that really um, talks so much more to this concept of when we're thinking about community, we're thinking about a collective that leverages each other, that is um, strong, that works together. And, you know, we we talk about, we talk about um, community as something, um, often just as a synonym for a group of people. Yes. Essentially. When, and nowadays, yeah. it's actually a, a synonym for an audience. Unfortunately. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, um, yeah, I would say the downside of, of, uh, of brands 
wanting to build communities is they've made it synonymous to their audience. So actually, that's a fantastic segue to go like, okay, well, if we look at like what community means in a company and, and how you leverage strength and assets and, um, you know, your employees, and now we're looking at, at that same company who's going, okay, well, we want to build a community as being the audience, right? The, the paying customers, essentially, yeah. because we also about, talk now about converting communities, yeah. Right. Yeah. So a community has, is, has become an asset in itself that you're going to convert into a paying customer to add yeah. to your bottom line. So it's a very, uh, very kind of commercial uh, yeah. in, interaction, which then, you know, it loses, it loses uh, meaning and depth. And it also becomes quite a one-way communication. If you're saying, well, we're building an audience, you're listening to us, right? And then you're going to pay us your money. That's the word, transactional. Um, And doesn't that then lose the power of of what what a community in its truest sense could create for a company and and add and how it could benefit? Yeah, and this is why one one of the advocacies that I... Uh, I'm firm on is again redefining what community means for mm. us in organizations. Um, yeah, in the same way that we need to define what engagement is, we need to also define what what does community mean in the yeah. first place. Absolutely. And um, we're we're in a you know we're we're in a point in society where uh, communities are not anymore. Locally based. Before yeah. we we think of community as oh somebody within our you know within yeah. our local area, um, but now given given that both our li- lives are entwined in the offline and the online mm-hmm. space, this redefinition of community is 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 very important because then we get to really look at. But yeah, what do what do we really mean? Yeah, you know, and how do we how do we separate that from the uh, an audience yes. in the first place? Um, in the the book, um, community building, designing for communities of change, one of the tools that I wrote there is about the importance of defining what an audience is and what a community is mm. by looking at, you know, where where are people at in terms of transaction and transformation uh, and, and seeing of, okay, you know, is communication one way or are other yes. people allowed to voice their um, opinions? Uh, so looking at different dimensions where um, where we offer yeah, people to really show up as themselves mm-hmm. and if we're seeing that it's mostly like what you said, you know, one way, then we're not actually building a community. No. What we have is an audience. Yes. Uh, and um, in the previous, I think that was a year ago, we did a an online um, summit around redesigning uh, companies as communities, and that notion of yeah, how how can we see our mm. company as a community in itself and the work that we do. As, as a community uh, in one of the piece that I keep going back on around this is uh, this idea of how can we also start with who rather than start with why oh who, that is so who are we designing for in the first place this is from uh-huh. the work of a, a dear friend Michelle Bachman wherein he created you know uh, the, the golden spiral rather than the golden circle um, in, 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 the, in the center of that spiral is who you know who, who are we designing mm-hmm. for? who is this community for? So it's almost um, you know what it speaks to is, is how much we've lost the humanity in, 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 the, in the human so we, we you know we've turned people into a resource both human resources yes. in your company. And human resources outside of your company who are your customers. And we've lost the human in all of that, in, yeah. in this understanding of, you know, and, and 
you could say, you know, you can see it in the marketing, you have the fear-based marketing, needs-based marketing. So if you can show people how they're lacking something, then they're more likely to buy your products so they can feel complete. And this is turning it on its head, it seems to me, because it's saying, how can we help people um, show up as their whole selves and, you know, allow people to feel belonging, but belonging in, in, in a whole more, I, I kind of want to say a healthy healing way. Yeah. Um, and then that they can show up complete and become part of a, a purpose, a movement. So again, rather than starting from you are lacking something, so you, you know, this brand or these goods uh, make you feel better, right? So you bec- you want to, uh, you know, you want to associate yourself with a brand to make you feel like you're worthy. It's saying, well, what if you approached, you know, your your customers um, as being, you know, incredibly incredible assets, whole yeah. and beautiful. And that shifts the, that conversation to then how you interact and how you have conversation, you know, because it turns from, from a lack to, to a building, to a magic, to a belonging and an enhancing um, kind of of the community. Because in today's term, because, you know, so many others are, are migrants, you know, living in different communities from different places. Um, we're, we, we find instead of, you know, back in the day, you grew up in a village and you got married and you had your children, you continued living in a village and that was your community. Yeah. Now our, our families, our friends, our societies, our interactions are spread yeah. globally. Yeah. So instead of having one community, we now have the advantage of being able to be part of so many different communities that can feed perhaps different interests, different passions, different parts of ourselves. Yeah. And it gives us the power to kind of be more multifaceted. Right. And I think that that shift perhaps for, for a brand could be a differentiator. And we're seeing that in a, a lot of the purpose driven uh, uh, marketing and when it comes to having a purpose as a brand and having that help you engage your employees but also engage your customers it becomes on well if you know you're looking at how do we redesign companies as communities how do you create a journey that brings people together yeah yeah yeah, I, I love that emphasis of, um, you know, a journey because that is what it is, mm-hmm. right? It is a journey. It's not a, a fixed destination or a fixed point of time. Um, and this is also why for me, I see it as like an expanding spiral. Mm-hmm. Uh, that as we design these spaces, and you know, eventually these spaces would, um, w- would, yeah, need some expansion, you know, so from from the initial ways that we did it, we might need to revisit it six months from now, a year from now to see is it still working yeah. for us, right? And see mm-hmm. see how how did it work, uh, so, and what ways yeah. can we expand on that? So it's an ever expanding spiral, um, and, and and what is crucial for me at least, you know, what I find it crucial is when we're in a journey, it's always yeah. best not to do it alone. Yes. Uh, so again, this idea of firekeepers, this idea of who who can support you in this, you know, if it if there is a a pool for uh, designing more healing mm-hmm. in in the spaces that you're part of, yeah, who who can be that, you know, who can who can uh, support that, um, who who's already there, yeah, that has, yeah, the. Uh, I would say the the ability to give space to facilitate um, heavy conversations to mediate, you know. So mm-hmm. then you look at um, what's this? The the different ways in which that can happen. Uh, this is also why I love in the practice of nonviolent communication. 
the the idea of yes you know we have shared needs uh, that mm-hmm. we connect on that on the shared needs conflict arises is when we're fixed with a specific strategy yes so for me i see that now as we're you know as we know who we're designing for and as we know the the intention the why this is important for us you know like if say for example healing or restoration within a a team or organization is important then the next question yeah who who can support that Mm. who can help create those spaces um and at the same time is what are the ways in which we can do that? You know, this yeah. this question that you've posed at the start of, you know, around engagement, there there needs to be multiple ways in which people can jump in, jump out, you know, wade through. There, there's different, there should be different um, uh, touch points where people can find themselves in depending on where they're currently at. Yeah, and it's you know it's so interesting. You raise the the topic of healing in in an organizational space, and most people be like, no, no, like, you know that's when you go to your yoga class or your meditation or like you have your coach or your psych- psychologist. That happens external to work. <laughs> but what we learned during COVID is that this topic of mental exhaustion burnout is something so real and so crippling and such actually a big threat to companies that you can no longer kind of go hmm touchy feely no 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 this is a workspace we don't do this here you know like you know we'll give you money to go see a coach like you know there you go do this outside but COVID has taught us that actually, if we think about companies as communities and if we want to create spaces where your employees <laughs> actually stay and work with you to build the incredible vision that you have for your company, and we're talking about building community, you can't have that separation. You yes. need to be taking due consideration into yeah. that healing needs to be part of it a uh, part of the conversation yes um exactly. yeah it there, there's i i guess for for some they have this idea that healing is um very much only for you know psychologists therapists psychiatrists yeah yet healing is very to us you know it's it's not just healing our our mental state but also healing our body Mm. for example um healing relationships Uh, so so that's also very deeply embedded in any um setting because we would always be in contact with other people and that in itself can be places of tension or Mm. uh, conflict so how do we provide healing And if you don't want to use healing as a term, um, restoration might be a term that, that they can use. Yeah, How can you provide restorative practices within the organization? Um, I guess this is this is that. You know, I see it as we're, we're in a, a period where all these systems that we have built, mm. we're now looking at them with fresher eyes and say, okay, you know, we've benefited from the systems it has taken us to where we are right now yeah yeah the next question to pose is but do we still keep them is this still relevant at this time like what you've posed a while ago about human resources Mm. i think for myself i would say it's time to ditch the term human resources (laughs) Uh, it's time to redefine what does it mean to uh, have you know uh, teams within organizations and develop that culture yeah and 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 promote belonging in that you know in that and human resources does not speak of that you know? yeah. human resources is so mechanistic that it seems to be devoid of what it truly means to connect with each other as humans. Yeah, it's not. I mean, you you see in some companies a, a people officer emerging, um, or or that now becoming also part of a, a a purpose officer. But it's 
it's interesting because um, in organizations currently, I think the the topic of a, a toxic work environment is something that you know, uh, I think organizations accept it's kind of common terminology, you want to avoid it, you know, because employees will leave if there's like a toxic work environment. But nobody has questions. Well, what is the opposite of that? Yes. So if we don't want that, what is it that we want to design for? And how do we then design for the people in the teams? So in tech, we're talking about agile, we're talking about squads, we're talking about how do we design better products? Yeah. And then the question is, well, if you take something that, that people are getting more and more used to in terms of this idea of how do teams work together, well, what if you take that the next step in companies and look at, well, how do we design for, for teams that, that you know, work incredibly well? How do we design for people in teams how do we how do we design for teams building like communities yeah and how do we design for spaces where uh tension and conflict are addressed yeah uh, and not just set set aside uh in one of the the gatherings that i was part of so i'm part of this collaboration with the hum and uh one of the activities that that, that um, we recently did is a gathering of leaders, and even before we started, and that's a, a few days of you know we're, we're together. In, I think it was a four day or five day gathering. Um, um, before we even started, we had a conversation around restoration, and of like uh, who is available to listen if mm. people get triggered and would need support yeah so there was already a a a sheet that puts with with people's names on it you know like who's available to give support um what what can we do yeah to when when we're triggered uh, so there's already an understanding of a process to um to to check in with yourself and to check in with others so there's i i find that uh, as as very very liberating again this idea of oh a place where it's already laid out you know or we lay it out in such a way that we know mm. how to navigate tension with each yeah. other because for me this 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 needs to be a a practice rather than the other way around of um not knowing what to do when conflict arises. Yeah. You know, how we design for conflict is how we design for collaboration. Because you can't you can't design for collaboration unless you address well how do we how do we design for when when conflict arises, when when we disagree. Exactly. Or when someone doesn't feel fulfilled, you know? So our collaboration can only be as good as our our design for conflict yes definitely definitely and even that right of the question of how do we want to collaborate with each other yeah oftentimes we're just put in as okay you and you and you you work together yeah <laughs> that's a project God. <laughs> and then that's it you know there's no framing there's no uh understanding of the strengths that each yeah. one brings in right yeah. So there's also the tendency for people to feel insecure and, and sometimes unsafe to, yeah. to show up. Absolutely. It's like, you know, when when you are like, it's the expert hat, right? So you, you're hired as an expert and we are taught in our education system that to be wrong is fatal, right? If you're wrong, like you could fail the exam, you could fail your research paper, you could fail your degree. And this like fear of failure, like carries on then into the corporate space where we work, where we are so dead scared to be wrong, you know, so we we have to be an expert. So we're kind of carrying all of this fear, which is kind of actually creating a barrier between us doing our job because we're so busy, like kind of doubting ourselves or like worrying. 
but also kind of short circuits the brilliance um, within the organization. Because when you don't have, um, and that's why I love your term of like brave spaces, like we're all seeking innovation and, you know, creativity in terms of how do we solve things, um, you know, more creatively, better, you know, better products, more like, you know, and, and to be competitive, a lot of that has to do with, with really finding creative solutions. And when we're too scared to be wrong, everybody's really scared to have a bad idea, then it's really hard to have really good ideas because you, you've created a situation where it's very hard to be creative and to really let go because you're so scared to be wrong. And that idea of like, well, how do you create brave spaces is, well, how do you create spaces for exploration where you can throw ideas around and be wrong as an important part of the process of yeah. like coming up with those good ideas? But as, yeah. as the process of like, well, how do we remove this baggage that is actually short-circuiting our innovation? We need yeah. those brave spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for highlighting that. It's something that uh, I've also been noticing when, you know, take for example, brainstorming. Right? Yes. That, that, that is a very good example where oftentimes it doesn't become equitable. Yeah. Because most often it will be, you know, the loudest and the bravest would have their, um, ideas put out yeah oftentimes when we take in that you know that as a practice uh when brainstorming people with i would say the you know the bravest the loudest voice and the loudest voice <laughs> are the ones whose ideas are you know are, are moved forward with yeah and that for me is also looking at okay looking at old practices and, mm. and patterns to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe this is not the best practice if we want to make you know, it equitable. Yes. And if we'd want to have different opinions and different ideas. Mm -hmm. So how can we shift that, right? How can we create um, a, a systems and you know, structures within the system that allows for that, that allows yeah. for other voices to be heard? Um. And, and this is something that, again, you know, when we think of we're designing these spaces, yeah. Yeah, that these spaces do not automatically happen. No. We need to be intentionally designing spaces where people can share their voices. So this then goes back to, again, this, you know, this idea of, Spaces need to be intentionally designed. Yeah. Uh, intentionally designed to create belonging, intentionally mm -hmm. designed to create healing or restoration, you know, intentionally designed so people can feel, you know, that they're part of something or something, you know, yeah. of, of the organization. Um, and, and this is why for me it's very important to first, one, you know, notice what is it. You know, what is it that we're currently doing? Yeah. Um, and, and what is it that we're doing well? Uh, and then to look at, okay, who who are the people that we can tap into that's mm -hmm. already doing these practices, you know, that are doing these um, things that we would love to emphasize more? Yeah. Uh, and then how can we get them involved in that? then how can we also get others involved in this process of redefining and recreating these spaces? Mm. So, so for me, this really goes back again to, you know, how much of, how much of all of this are we um, noticing yeah. in, in our organizations? And, and it's so interesting because I think often the default for organizations is to then look external so they immediately presume, well, oh, we need more creative people, we need innovators, or we need all of these things. 
that we don't have in our organizations. We need to seek them externally. And what you're talking about is a radical departure of that, where it's saying, hold up, you have like all of these brilliant people in your organization already. The question is, you know, how do you design the spaces that allows their brilliance to shine? And Mm -hmm. that should be the starting point before you go, oh, we need better innovators. We need all of this. It's going, hold on, let's look internal, not external. And you will probably find you have those people that you're looking for inside your organization already. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that for me is one of the, uh, I would say, the flipping of the narrative mm. when it comes to redesigning companies as communities and really looking at, you know, how are we intentionally designing for these experiences, these spaces, this um, yeah, interactions. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, it's so critical because, you know, things are getting more and more competitive. And I think that, you know, often in the midst of like a global recession, like we're facing now, which is like, you know, coming on the back of COVID, like we've gone through so much that often um, the, imme- the immediate uh, reaction is to like be a little bit like a tortoise and like, okay, pull in everything internal. Let's make ourselves as like small as possible, lean as possible, because we just have to survive this. And this time period is actually one of incredible opportunity to become more competitive by... <laughs> By reimagining, you know, and and taking an asset-based approach to really look inwards and going, hold on, how do we, like, I mean, in true commercial terms, maximize our assets, right? <laughs> but the understanding that the assets that you have is, uh, as a company is your people. Yeah. And without those people, like, you don't have, you may have good IP, you may have like an amazing product, but it's it's the people that are the, your success or failure. And when, when you start to um, kind of unleash that potential, and I think that also what you're saying is that also uh, requires a shift to how you interact with your consumers that that actually is what helps you create a far more competitive organization, which means, especially in a time like now, like you're really setting yourself up for success because you're recognizing the assets you have both in your organization, but also the assets that you could create if you really do intentionally look to build a community to support your organization rather than an audience. Yeah. Yeah, the, what what comes up for me is really by doing all of this, you make your organization relevant, uh, relevant for people who, um, yeah, who values and needs your uh, your your products, your services yeah. the most. Yeah, and you know, I think that's why we're seeing this whole shift to purpose is this is this idea of well how do you become relevant as an organization because consumers today are demanding more at the end of the day you know they want companies and organizations that they can believe in both to work for but also to buy from and to support you know we were kind of in like Victor Frankl's like search for meaning Mm -hmm. you know we're seeing this this growing spiral in our society of really um, wanting to have impact, wanting to be purpose-driven, wanting to find meaning and belonging. And, you know, you, you can play on people's fears or you can, you can build, you know, you can weave and you can provide for more purpose and meaning and find it in yourself too. And I think that's where we're going to see the shift of like, well, if you want to be relevant as a company going forward, 
you kind of you need to understand that that society is shifting yeah and you know we're constantly redesigning um and and this this journey of of finding meaning this journey of kind of transforming the world which we're on at the moment um calls for this constant designing and redesigning as part of the process yeah definitely uh for me there's always that how can we invite you know how might we invite um ourselves and others in uh in in this expression of shared humanity um Mm. in, in filipino psychology we have the the core value of kapwa you know which is that shared inner self that's beautiful and when i think about healing and community work it is within that lens of how can i be in kapwa with you and how can you be in kapwa with me you know how can we have our shared inner selves and this is why it's important for me to yeah put that reference back in of we need to bring ourselves in um, the, the, you know, the organizations that we're part of, the initiatives, the, the, the different projects. But that bringing of ourselves in requires intentionally designing for spaces that are safer, you know, yeah. for spaces that are brave, for sa- spaces that are restorative, mm. and, and, then, and spaces that are, uh, what's this, that, that promotes belonging. Yeah. So, if we are to say that, you know, the, the end goal is for each one of us to be in kapwa with each other, to, to share our inner selves, you know, and have that, that, that culture, then for me, it really starts with each one taking, you know, taking their own understanding of themselves mm. is important. You know, how, how am I showing up? You know, what are my strengths? Yeah. Um, what are my, you know, what what are my needs as well? Yeah, like what, and and what are the ways in which I find fulfillment? Mm-hmm. If I can articulate that with those that I work with, it makes it a, a safer place and a brave space for me to be able to say, okay, then I can bring myself in to such an organization. So that level of clarity is also yeah. very important on a personal level. Mm. Uh, I love that that you raised that point because I think often, um, especially as as we've adopted the word triggering, um, that is always kind of like what other people are doing to me, and it's it's kind of so easy to then um, kind of blame and have expectations on everybody else instead of also first taking a step and going hold on you know what 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 am I bringing to the table and when it comes to creating braver spaces it's not just how are other people going to hold space for me how am I going to hold space for them yeah as a person for who they are and and what they bring and you know how how do I myself help to create this braver space for other people to show up as they are not how I want them to be yeah one of my mentors Michelle Gilotti uh in in one of the sessions that I participated in shared own the energy that you bring in the room and that has been something that I've kept mm. uh, in, in my head and in my heart for quite a long time because of that. And I was like, yeah. yeah, how do how am I owning the energy that I bring in the room, in the spaces that I inhabit, you know, both within myself and also with others? Yes. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's 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 all the different the different layers, um, and that that's just. It, you know, to think, you know, we start the conversation looking um, specifically in organizations in, in the internal and then move to kind of like the, the idea of, you know, community as an audience and the external. 
to like now move to kind of self and going, well, we can't really uh, talk about creating and designing spaces for, for inclusion and great spaces to show up without actually talking about self and, and the responsibility that we each have to, to both have the self-awareness, but also make sure that, that individually that we, are, we play our role um, in helping to create and supporting um, and holding those spaces uh, for ourselves and others. Exactly that, yeah. It's, you've given me so much food for thought. Like I think I've spent this, this entire conversation just like, just just smiling um so much at how like juicy and rich it's been and it's been such a joy to have you and I'm dying to have you on again because there's <laughs> so much more I wanted to dig into you I feel like we need to do like a whole nother episode on like designing <laughs> for collaboration right because you know I think that is like a whole subject in itself um but yeah, I know that you're giving an event on the 17th of November and perhaps, yeah, I would, I would love you to maybe like um, yeah. share it, like we, maybe perhaps we can like end up with you kind of sharing with <laughs> everybody kind of how, how they can like get in touch with you or see like the, the stuff and amazing things that, that you are sharing and, and putting out there and the work you're doing yeah, and so perhaps some final thoughts for, for everybody's you know, to, to chew on. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, thank you. Thank you for having me here, Daniela. And uh, uh, for me, it's always a pleasure to get into conversations where yeah, I, I get to share my perspectives on things and see how that lands. You know, that's a, uh, that's one of the experiments that I've been doing of, okay, just being in a, in a circle, be in a space, offer your ideas and then see what you know yeah. what lands what the what ripples out of it um so thank you thank you for inviting me here and hopefully those that would be listening in and tuning into this episode can uh get some nuggets that they can add in and create for themselves and also for their teams or for their organizations um for those who are curious to to know more about my work you can check out lanayelenyev.com um, or you can connect with me at LinkedIn uh, directly. So that's also a place where uh, I share my ideas, like what you said at the start, a post that I did in yeah. LinkedIn got us into this uh, juicy <laughs> conversation. Um, and yes, the events that I've been hosting and uh, facilitating. So the one on November 17th is all about designing safer and brave spaces. So this is really for facilitators, teachers, managers, team members, individuals who would want to understand more about what does it really mean to design for spaces that are safer and brave for people. Um, this is all part of the Refugia series that I've started a couple of months back. Um, I've tuned in with myself in terms of what is, you know, what is the best way to show up in that that can contribute and be relevant for people and uh this idea of creating spaces of refuge has has really touched me so deeply uh and i've been told that i create those spaces in the different uh workshops or gatherings or even online gatherings that i've uh, facilitated so mm -hmm. i'm like okay you know this being that fire keeper okay there is something there that I can share with others. So this yeah. this has started this refuge series um, of uh, learning workshops. So specifically two hours of interactive learning. Uh, we do have different topics from now up until December. So awesome. uh, in, in the next coming weeks in October, we have one on emotional regulation and co-regulation, which will be done by uh, my, my dear friend Anya Pierce. Uh, another one on healing through rituals, which is also 
in collaboration with a dear friend of mine, Ninka Foss. And um, for December, there's uh, Designing Neuro-Inclusion, you know, Neuro-Inclusive Spaces, which will be uh, facilitated by Saskia Winifer. So I do have, you know, I'm very grateful and um, very fortunate to have uh, lovely and talented and amazing women around me who have graciously also said yes to sharing their gifts in designing spaces for belonging, healing, and liberation. Mm. And and this is why this Refugia series is all about, you know, creating those spaces of refuge where we can see each other and uh, where we can learn from each other. And at the same time, we can feel that, you know, that we're held mm. and seen and uh, acknowledged. It's, I mean, I, I, I'm so looking forward to, uh, to a, attending there. There's such powerful conversations and, you know, there, there is such a gift um, to your sharing um, and to the woman that you collaborate to really, you know, sharing uh, your expertise, your, your experience and, and holding space in such an incredibly powerful way. Um, so all of these links will of course be in the show notes for everybody. So, you know, they can sign up, follow you, um, connect with you and thank you again, um, for an incredible conversation. My pleasure. And, uh, uh, we, we can definitely plan for another one. Oh, I would absolutely love that. I'm sure everybody else will too. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of What's Design Anyway. If this tickled your synapses, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app and on at What's Design Anyway so that you don't miss the next juicy episode. Don't forget to go to the show notes to get more info about our guest and links of where to find them. And also special shout out goes to Capitalistic Village for the awesome music.